Today on Inside the Ropes, Phil Mickelson at 50, a legend again. I know. Who would have thought? Sarah Kemp very nearly got across the line in the US. We're also going to talk to Pete Nolan. Plenty coming up on the other side of this. Here we go. You're listening to Inside the Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe now through your favourite podcast app. Welcome to Inside the Ropes, a slightly unfamiliar voice to a few of our rusted-on listeners. Mark Hayes back in the chair (laughs) this week. I've had to... I, I sensed a coup coming from Andy Maher, so I've had to punt him. Uh, but the uh, the rock of the whole ship. I'm mixing my metaphors beautifully. Ali Whitaker, welcome, <laughs> welcome back. It's good to see your face, Hazy. And you. I, I love what you guys did last week with Lucas. Gives you great, such a great insight. So thank you. Oh no, absolute pleasure. He's always a joy to talk to as well. And one of our guests coming up today, I'm going to put in the same category on the female side for our Aussies overseas. Sarah Kemp, something to look forward to. But it's going to be a big show. It is going to be a big show, so much to talk about and I uh, can't wait. We're also going to chat to uh, Peter Nolan. Um, those who are, I guess, extremely familiar with the PGA Tour of Australasia will probably recall Pete as a as a touring pro, but he's taken a different course in his professional life and now and heavily involved with the simulated golfs, X-Golf. So we're going to have a chat to him and we'll wrap up everything around the world. But Ali, it's the, uh, well, once very large elephant in the room. He's trimmed down a little bit. Is it, hang on. Is the elephant in the room the fact you haven't messi- mentioned what episode it is yet? Oh, now, yeah. I know you're a little out of practice, I'm Hayes. so out of practice. But what number is it? Come on. This Welcome. is like, that's like the one hit point at the top. <laughs> oh, my God. I love this. Welcome to episode number 209 <laughs> of Inside the Ropes. Oh, my God. Sorry if I've confused everyone. Anyone with OCD about Inside the Ropes? <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. You oh. never know what you're going to get here, do you? Well, everything today. Everything. <laughs> the kitchen sink yeah, on the way. Everything. So here right. we go. Here's the yes. elephant in the room. He once was the elephant in the room, but he's trimmed down a lot. Mm. Phil Mickelson. Can can you believe that we're sitting in here on a May day in twenty twenty one talking about Phil Mickelson being a major oh, champion? It's unbelievable, isn't it? And and that's the thing about golf. For for whatever reason, and I am quite clearly biased. <laughs> In this case, but I feel like the headlines that you get in golf are really different to other sports. You know, there's so many, you you look at something like tennis and there's clear favourites. There's often the same names coming up again. And it's not like we don't have dominant players in the game. You know, Dustin Johnson, um, Justin Thomas, uh, Brooks Kepka, Tiger, like over the years. And Phil's been one of them. But the storylines that come out of golf just seem to be a little bit more obscure and and fascinating to me. And and I don't know whether that's because as well as 144 players, you know, on average at every tour event, obviously a couple more um, this week. But I don't know if it's because we're exposed to more stories. I don't know. What's your take on that? Like, why does that keep happening in golf? Uh, well, I think the depth of the field is so much stronger in golf than it is in tennis, for example. Mm. I mean, you're, you're right. If you roll up to a full strength with no injuries, non-COVID tennis tournament, for more than a decade, you've got three or four blokes who are going to win it. It's as simple as that. Yep. Um, we'll have those three or four likely blokes miss the cut, as we almost did in this instance. Mm. Um, you know, Rory made a bit of a late run to, to avoid that. Our three top players probably in the world, yep. gone. That doesn't happen in tennis. Mm. Um, the, I think the gap between one and, in this case, 115, but, you know, it goes right out to, uh, you'll probably remember um, Popov when she won. She was 302, mm-hmm. oh, 304. I remember the number. I love that you put me on the spot there, yeah. though. You know, mentioned 
someone's world ranking, <laughs> obscure world ranking. Nine 12, months ago. Nine months ago. <laughs> it's gonna, I'll tell you, it's oh going to be that gosh. show. I'm ready for it. I'm okay. Well, but it. What I'm saying is, you know, yeah. she was ranked around 300 uh, and played like. Yes. She played like Lorena Ochoa. Mm-hmm. She was awesome. Um, Phil, not dissimilar. And and here we go. I can't believe this. I'll tell you why I can't believe it. Yes. I remember. And Pray tell. This will be um, more relevant to people of a certain age, probably Phil's age. I remember watching Jack Nicholas win in 1986 at the Masters and thinking, my God, you're old. <laughs> like that is, to me... At 46, he rewrote the record books and it mm. was the last hurrah. He hadn't done anything for six or seven years at that on that stage. Um, he was early 80s. He was sort of last a legitimate contender. This was, He wasn't thought of. I, I just remember thinking, God, you're old. I think that's the interesting thing for me. When when you start like flipping through the record books, and, and we've got majors on the men's side since I think it's 1860. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been roughly, what is it, 450 majors since then. What surprised me was that in the early doors, there wasn't someone older. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like way back when, yes. in those first, you know, 50 years of golf, yep. um, what the demographic was like and and how old the great players of the game were then. Because in my head, I've remembered them being older than the younger talent that we have now. Me too. Uh, so that that was kind of the the surprise packet for me. Yeah. So I just think you know, looking back at Nicholas, he was forty six. Mm. Feels four years older than that. To me, he looks much younger than Jack did at the time. I remember hearing stories about Jack's you know eyesight just starting to fade, and he was obviously you know not hobbling around, but hobbled a little bit. Just physically, wasn't at his prime. He wasn't that sort of lurching bear. Um, Phil looked for all money like a. Not, I wouldn't say a spring chicken, but, you know, a 30-something. Mm, late, yeah, late 30s. Yeah, yeah, physically, like he's, I don't know, this is the word we haven't used on there's this no, podcast There's no before. video here. You realise if you start if you start making hand, hand movements, no one at home can, well, can see it. Well, um, I'll put a name on the hand movements. The man boobs are gone. Ah, okay. So, no man boobs. <laughs> this is really, thankfully, not a visual show. And, you know, he looks – he talked about his um, dedication to getting it right physically and Clates has written a great piece on the Golf Australia website about certain aspects of this. Best diet of all is just not to eat as much mm. and he's not. He talks about that. He was, one of his questions is what have you sacrificed and he just said food. Oh, Which that's is a, a big sacrifice. <laughs> now I need the camera on you. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, you know, he's done all the things. Clearly, the 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 fire still burns within him to get better, which I think is the that's the tipping point if, for contention in big events to me. I think for me, I'm just really happy for him to have this part of his own story that's totally his. Uh, he shared so much of his career with Tiger Woods mm-hmm. and and being second fiddle, realistically. Uh, you know, I think it was Rory McIlroy on the way out after his press conference on Sunday. He said they asked him what was your first memory of Phil Mickelson, and he said I can't remember it because I was so focused on Tiger at the time. Oh, really? And yeah, and so it's it it is part of that. And I'm this is a section, and and obviously Tiger winning the Masters uh, it, after the trials and tribu- tribulations of of his own career was was something in and of itself. But this is different. You know, that's. This is a different category. This is something that no one can take away from Phil. Mm-hmm. 
and and something that he's worked incredibly hard for. And like you say, you know, in terms of trimming down and, and beefing up his, his calves instead and, uh, and going on his ridiculous coffee diets and stuff like that. Like he's he's been looking at the 1%. And we, it's so easy for us to focus on players like Bryson DeChambeau doing that. But he's been doing it the opposite way to create some longevity in his career. And I just think that this chapter is really important for him for when he finishes the game to know that he had something that no one else had. All right, well, I'm going to throw you under the bus again with another, another question out of, <laughs> out of that wild blue yonder that you despise. Uh, in Clayton's article, he's, hasn't, he didn't draw a conclusion to this, by the way, but he made the comparison, he was talking about longevity, between Phil Mickelson and Ernie Els. Mm. Mm-hmm. Whose career would you rather take? I'm going to be fascinated by this, by your answer. I, I, I did it on the fly yesterday. Do you want me to go first or do you want to have a crack? No, you lead in, but I will I will put together my thoughts in the meantime. Okay. It was a slow burn, Phil. They played a lot of amateur golf together, so they are essentially the same age. Okay. Ernie raced to his majors early. Four majors, I think two of each of the Opens from memory. Mm-hmm. And... As you start to check my dodgy memory, which is good, um, it took Phil a long time to get to get to that point. I mean, he didn't win a major until 2004, so you know he was a, a latecomer to breaking the major duck. He now has six, so he's gone past Ernie in the sense of uh, majors won. I think Ernie's got him extremely well covered in terms of global golf, mm. like blows him off the park. I think that's that's been a, ch- a choice of Ernie to play elsewhere, though. You know, I think absolutely Phil's been very US centric in his in his travels throughout his career. And I'm biased in that front because I think to be a great, great, great player, you have to be a great global player. Mm. I don't think that winning, not that he, he's not a flat track bully, and he showed by winning on this type of course this week at Kiowa Island that he's got more strings to his bow than just dartboard golf. And he did that when he won the Open as well. I'm still plumping for Ernie, purely based on that. But six major championships, is a, there's a big difference between four and six. I think there's a big difference between winning in every one of the last four decades. Oh, so, I'm which, you mentioned that. Uh, You know, on the PGA Tour. I, I think for me, I, that's the career that I'd much rather. Because he, he's been relevant for longer, uh, to put it simply. And... And I don't think he also has the scarring that Ernie has in terms of the last the last decade. Ernie has contended quite a bit. Every now and then he'll he'll flash his way up, but his his putting obviously uh, has been an issue. And and I just don't think I think you know it's kind of like the like the line graph. You know, do you want that that quick rise and then a drop off? In terms of Phil's relationship with the game, I'd imagine it'd be more intact. Mm. No, I think that's a fair comment. Do you know the the people who've won in four decades on the PGA Tour? Now that you've brought that up, I think that's an amazing thing. By the way, I I don't, but I know. I mean, we were talking about Lee Westwood on the European Tour uh, at the start of the year, uh, but no, I don't. Sam Snead, yeah. Ray Floyd, mm-hmm. Davis Love, okay, and now Phil. Wow, amazing! Like it, it's not your normal who's who sort of. Arnie, Hogan, Nicholas sort of stuff. That's it. And that's a point. That's a point there is that it is, it's the career. Mm. And, and I don't know, you know, what do you take at the start? Do you say you can play for 
for 30 years on tour or do you say you're going to have a great 10 years? Uh, I guess it depends on your your priorities in life yeah. and so forth. So who did you go for, Ernie or Phil? Uh, I'd rather Phil's. Okay. I'm taking Ernie. So that's what, it's a really good <laughs> argument. Uh, and your points are probably more valid. I think that's a really good thing. So maybe you can get me to change here. I did want to point out in Phil's press conference, he was asked about whether he'd watched Tom Watson when he came within a whisker of winning the playoff of the Open Championship aged 59 a few years back, mm-hmm. 2009-ish, I think it was. Um, he said he drew great uh, delight in watching that and really marvelled at what Tom Watson had done against the young kids. Mm-hmm. Now he's finding himself in the same decade as, as Watson was at the time. It's remarkable. But the way they played, to talk about the actual tournament, Watson bunted it up the fairways. You know, he, he kept it front and centre while all the kids around him blazed away and died in the rough. It was a completely different game. He was playing a different game. Totally I know different where you're going game. with this. I can see it. Yeah. Phil wasn't. 364 yards up the 16th fairway. That's Whitaker-like. <laughs> it was the longest drive of the day, I think, wasn't it? Of the tournament, I want to say. Mm. I Like, again, testament to to acknowledging where the game's going, acknowledging that his body is different to everyone else's. It's, it's mm. not the same as a 25-year-old's body. You can't do as much. It's got far more wear and tear. And he hasn't had... Like off the top of my head, he hasn't had any major injuries that took him out for years at a time. And just keeping the horse on the track uh, has been important. But then being able to bump up to that next level. I mean, he, he, he just had a week out. Like he is a great player. But you look at his stats and there was never anything lurking that this was about to happen, oh, ex- no. except for the family dinner. Did you read about the family dinner the week before? No. So the Mickelson family dinner. So he's sitting there with his brother, Tim, um, and his, I think it's his sister, Tina. And Phil said, um, what did he say? He said, I, I'm feel, I felt uh, I had a breakthrough today. I had an epiphany today. Mm. I'm going to win soon. At the dinner? Yeah, yeah, at the family dinner. Wow. And then Tim, who's sitting there, his caddy, caddy and brother, um, who, who sacrificed being, you know, John Rahm's manager and, yep. you know, he sacrificed a lot uh, to be on Phil's bag. Obviously, you know, not that you wouldn't, uh, but it's not without mention. Uh, and he said, yeah, you're looking, you're playing the best golf I've seen in a really long time. I I will attest to that. And that was the conversation at the dinner table. And it's it's fascinating that you get the, you do get these feelings. Like, you know, we talked a couple of weeks back about Hannah Green saying it's just mm. a matter of time for her to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then sure enough, she contested two weeks in a row. Mm-hmm. And whether or not you do get across the line, there's so many variables yeah. that you can't control yourself. Uh, but but he had it. He had this feeling, which is um, which is incredible. And, and those things are priceless because usually when you feel it that deeply, it, it comes along at some point in time. Mm. Uh, if the you know if the path allows for it. Yeah, that's amazing. Mm. We should um, make reference to the Aussie in the in the camp. Yes. Um, a Victorian or now an Arizonan, I suppose, but uh, he's a, a Victorian by birth, Andrew Getson. I don't know, did you have anything to do with him VIS-wise? I No, he was he was pre-me yep. VIS. Yeah, I was uh, Jared Lyle and Mark Leishman and uh, all of those whippersnappers. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Getson was a member of the VIS program and went across and I think actually through the qualifying school made it onto what was then the nationwide tour. Um in fairness to him, I think he realised pretty quickly that he wasn't going to make it, and that's no slight on him. You've got to be a great player to get there. Um, but moved to Arizona, um, subsequently 
has an American wife and family, but he's he's he took to just is a good networker, I'm told, and he he found some um, some great people around um, the courses where the money games are played in Arizona, Whispering, what is it, Whisperer Rock or something like that? Yeah, I think he's, a, is he at Greyhawk as he, well? He, yeah. moved, he moved from Whisperer or whatever it is to Greyhawk. Mm. And and I think that's, he might have given Bones, mm-hmm. Phil's old caddy, a lesson there at some stage and then the rest is history. So it's a great thing, golf. I mean, that's an amazing path. You could be, if it's not working for you on the secondary tour as an Australian, chances are you're coming home and taking, a you know, another route in life um, for him to become the hottest now property in golf and a few others. I think he had Kevin Streelman and a couple of others mm. in the, in the, in the, uh, in the mix as well. So amazing. Congrats. We always look for the Aussie angle. That's a pretty good one. We do. Yeah. And he's, uh, he's got some golf to watch as well this week as well. Uh, Greyhawk, the NCAA championships are there. So he's, uh, he's going to have a busy, t- busy couple of weeks. I'm not sure if he'll be, be there to watch it, but I'm sure he'll be uh, involved in one way or another. Yeah. So what did you make of the Aussies? Ali, I, I, I'm not sure um, it was our finest moment, but for a couple of people, um, they really stood up um, in the early fledgling stages of their major championship career. I, I speak specifically of Jason Scrivener. I love this for Scriv. Uh, he he has come along leaps and bounds in the last, say, 18 months. Uh, a lot of it is because of some of the changes that he's made. He's committed to essentially, like I remember talking to him when I first started working in Europe in, was it 2019? And he he says, I I want to buy a place in London, but I really just want to be at home. Mm. Like I I want to be based, you know, in WA. and, And that's where he saw his life. And since then, you know, he was working with Gary Barter for the majority of his, um, early career. And I, and I presume that they still have, um, a relationship, uh, even now, but he's, he started working with Liam James who works, uh, with in the Robert Rock Academy, mm-hmm. uh, who is just a, a really well-respected coach, really young guy. Uh, he'd be, I think maybe early thirties. Uh, but just like a lot of the guys kind of go to Robert Rock, but end up under Liam James and he's incredibly approachable. He's so good at, in terms of like sharing what he does with his players and he's, he's been an unbelievable resource for me, but also um, he's been working with Dave Olred as well. Mm. And those, those steps can like, they can ruin your chances. He's made great choices and he's reaping the rewards and it's obviously a good fit, but building a team overseas, I can't stress how hard it is. You know, we talked to Lucas Herbert last week about trying to keep in touch with, you know, um, Dom as a party and, and Jamie Glazier on his team in Australia and it's Zoom and stuff like that. Like he's not going to see, mm. he's not going to see them, especially in the COVID world that we live in at the moment with quarantine. He's not going to see them for months and months on end. Uh, the good thing we have, you know, technology in our pocket where you can shoot back a swing and they can say, yeah, check this, check this. But um, it's not I, the same mentally though, is it? No, it's not. But I just, I really commend, um, yeah, Scriv for kind of taking taking those risks and making the moves because they're not comfortable having new input mm. uh, into a swing. And yeah, I just think he, he ticked the boxes and he's obviously just done um, what he needed to. So great to see him pop up on the leaderboard in a major as well, which is kind of that, that big next step for him. Massively so. And, you know, he was prominent on day one, had a couple of rough holes, didn't throw it away, and on the weekend really rode it home. 72-69, finished tied 23rd, uh, only one over par, really not that far out of calculations, to be honest. Um, 
I think he's he was the leading Australian at tied 23rd. Matt Jones had one of the best rounds of the day on Sunday, 68 to rocket up the leaderboard to two over. Um, continues his great form. And with Mark Leishman alongside Adam Scott missing the cut, really just keeps Jonesy hanging around in terms of the Olympic selection. Mm. Um, oh, he, I didn't think of that. I yeah. didn't really look into those. The, the rankings. He's come up a couple of places to the low 50s and, and Leash okay. probably drifted back one or two to the high 30s. Because mm. our t- current team is Cam Smith and Mark, Mark Leishman, Leishman. Yeah. yeah, on and the men's side. I would say that that probably represents Jason Day and Lucas Herbert's last huge chance to really make a stand for the Olympic team. It's not over by any stretch of the imagination. They need a big win. They need a big win. Mm. Uh, whereas Matt Jones, having the best year of his PGA Tour career, just continues to prod along. Did want to pay um, mention to Cam Davis. Um, brilliant first round. I mean, absolutely stunning. He had a triple bogey, um, I want to say, on the sixth hole on mm. day one and still managed to uh, shoot a 69, which that's quality golf on a really tough course, as we know. Uh, was second behind Corey Connors after day one. Faded back, but I think the experience he gained in his, just his second major championship, his first PGA, is awesome. Uh, well done to him. Cameron Smith faded on Sunday with the 77. They both finished tied 59th, uh, seven over the card. As we said, Scott and Leishman missed. Two things, Ali, about the course before we move on and get to our next guest who's about to join us on the line. The course, what did you make of the course? Uh, I think it got the respect that it was due, which was nice. Yep. Uh, and I And I liked the fact that it evolved as the week went on, which was good. Uh, I think you need that in majors. I, it kind of always, for whatever reason, it annoys me when you get, you know, the course. And sometimes Mother Nature plays its part and it, it rains and you get these soft greens and um, nothing really bounces onto the weekend. But I liked I liked the concept of the course building to a bit of a crescendo. And obviously with the 17th, you know, it certainly did that. Like that was, you know, everyone's waiting on that yes. shot. And and I really like that that sense of drama uh, at the last because no one can take anything for granted. From a me- mental perspective, you're out there and you're like, you know that you've still got – it's that final hurdle. Uh, and and so, no, I, I, I thought it held up okay. I didn't – I don't think it was as crazy as everyone kind of expects mm-hmm. a Pete Dyer course to be. You know, like we talked – we referenced it last week and, you know, you talk about diabolical uh, – don't think there was any kind of sense of unfairness, really. Not at all. But it was like with Cam Davis. It's, it's kind of like those things where you go one bad shot, one bad swing, and I'm hitting uh, and I'm making it a double or, or triple, yep. even. Which um, again just feeds into how good you have to play to win. Sixty-five by Abraham Answer on the final day. Like the the numbers were out there. It, yep. it didn't preclude anyone from doing anything. I thought no. I thought the course was fantastic. It might be immediately in my top handful of favourite. American tournament courses. I think because it resembles without the higher greens, some links courses, I think, primarily yes. for that reason. But I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. And the last thing on the tournament, and you can come at this from any perspective you like, <laughs> the crowds on, on 18 at the end of the tournament. Thoughts? Uh, to be, to me, then that's not the choice that they get to make for the people around them and for the players. I hated that Brooks got caught, oh. caught up in it. To me, that was incredibly disrespectful and not of the time. Uh, I love seeing it. I just don't love seeing it in 2021. You've ent- that's the best answer of we've ever. That's the most succinct thing it's ever been said on <laughs> Inside the Ropes, and definitely on it, episode number 209. I have I have one more thing that I want to that yeah. I want to point out because to me the texts within the Phil's family group. Oh yeah. So 
Did you? Uh, I, I know you didn't see Tina's text. Did you see his mum's text? No. Okay. I was, <laughs> I I'm sorry, this. I was thinking about the tweets. And the only, yeah. yeah, I mean, the only reason I'm mentioning these is because we have the access to them, which mm-hmm. I, and I think it's all, it, it should be mentioned when we do. So Phil's mum has texted Tina. Tina, text Philip and tell him just to par in, don't hit bombs or activate calves. <laughs> just par. Oh they won't God. catch him. He won't listen to his mother. Do text him. Please hurry. <laughs> like priceless, absolutely priceless. And, it, and it, I think it, it kind of pays tribute to the people that are around him as well in terms of the way that yeah. he thinks and that self-deprecating humour and and the fact that they can see that he's a bit of a showman on that stuff, you know, in the last three years and he's played into it and fire, fireside chats with oh, Phil and nice. we're just getting so much more access to the character that he is, which I really like. Yeah, very well put. Well, as we were hoping and praying for a you know a miracle from Scriv or Jones or anyone like that, we had one eye on Virginia, uh, and there was an Aussie charging through most of the weekend. That woman was Sarah Kemp, and we're going to talk to her on the other side of this break. With Australian Golf Media, you're back inside the ropes. You're listening to Inside the Ropes, and we have one of our absolute favourites, Ellie, joining us again on the line. Fresh from some really, really good form on the LPGA Tour at uh, Williamsburg in Virginia. Sarah Kemp, God knows where this is going to go. We've started on a very loose path on this show, and I don't reckon that you're the person to turn to to straighten it out quietly. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, Kempy, hot off a, uh, off a ripping ripping week last week. Uh, you're out at the Pure Silk Championship at Kingsmill uh, Golf Club out in out in Virginia, and uh, I feel like y- your name was all over the place for, from from start to finish. It was brilliant to see you just blanket the event and the, and the leaderboards. <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a great week. Um, I I've been in some some decent form. I had a good start to the year, and um, I love that golf course. I didn't even feel like I needed to have a practice round. I've I've played it just about every year. It's been there and. Um, it's a it's a good golf course for me, and it just came together. Um, played well, and and yeah, it was a really positive week. I, I led after 36 holes. Um, obviously, finished fourth in the end, but um, very very happy. How did that feel? You know, these are the things like that's that's something you hadn't led on your own um, on the LPGA, and it's and it's fascinating how much like you've been on tour since 2008. And and it's kind of you know it's not dissimilar to what we've just been talking about with Phil Mickelson how throughout the, the the whole breadth of a career that you're continually learning lessons and learning about yourself. Um, how was how was Friday night? How'd you sleep on that? You know, what was your experience on that front? Um, so yeah, I I one other time I had been co-leading going into the LPGA and um, I can't really remember that to be honest because it was quite a while ago. So. You're right. I really, I've been in contention on the LET, but it's been a, a, you know, a long time between drinks on the LPGA. And um, Friday afternoon, um, I, yeah, I had some cameras following me, and I thought, oh, I hadn't looked at the leaderboard on the back nine, and then I thought, oh, I must be doing pretty good, and then get off the golf course, and I had a one-shot lead. Um, so that was it. It was fun. Like I was obviously really nervous, um, but I knew that that was a good thing. Uh, so I just tried to embrace it. Um, I surprisingly slept pretty good. Um, I think that I am, I'm a little bit more, I know I am, a bit more mature than I was um, (laughs) last time I was leading on the LPGA. 
so I yeah, I just I just tried to embrace it. Um, I didn't sleep as well going into um, Sunday's round, so I was two back and uh, m- more on the side of you know I just was a little bit anxious and I was excited, excited, anxious. You know, like I was in contention. I had a chance to win, um, but overall, like you know, sleeping Friday and Saturday um, night was was so much fun you know even though I yeah didn't sleep that great um that's what I want you know I'd love to have more of those nights and wake up and be in contention and think about winning and and all that kind of stuff so overall I I really loved it two things arise from me about all this stuff Sarah one is that Ali just called you the equivalent of a 50 year old man so I'm I'm, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts (laughs) on that we're the same age (laughs) Kempi and I are only two weeks apart with our our birthdays so anything I say about her I'm saying about myself as well (laughs) I can hear you backtracking out of this Ali the second thing and the more important thing obviously Kempi is you did an interview based on the lead on the second day and I would really love to get to the bottom of that because it was very colourful Kemp I think I was asked on how I felt um, the other time that I was going in. Uh, I was co-leader. Um, it must have been about seven years ago um, playing. I was co-leader going into Saturday at the Marathon Classic. And um, the reporter asked me how I felt. And I said that I explained myself that um, the first tee on that golf course was lined with people. And it's a really um, tight opening tee shot. And I can just remember there was, you know, pre-COVID there was you know thousands of people lined down this fairway and I said that which is true I was shitting my pants Uh, (laughs) I was really nervous this was a long time ago Um, and more from the fact that it wasn't even you know oh gosh I'm I'm leading an LPGA event it was the people and how close they were to you know how I was about to pull out driver Um, so that was the comment of of, uh, why I felt like I was gonna yeah Soil yourself. Uh, shit my pants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and a true testament to why we always love talking to you at any, any opportunity. Never quite sure where things are going to go, but, you know, it's going to be genuine. But one of the things I, I will say, because I actually, I actually read this on the transcript. I didn't see the interview, and I was reading through your transcripts um, from last week. And then I read it, and I just I lost it laughing. But, like, one of the other th- takeaways – there's so few people, and I and I, there's more of them on the men's side of the game for whatever reason. I'd love to pick your brains as to why that is. That are really honest about their golf game on the women's tour. We have a tendency to say, "Yeah, everything's feeling great. You know, I hope to do this tomorrow." But like you, you actually really consider the the question and you answer it quite frankly. Uh, and and we see so much of that with the boys, but it's just so it's refreshing to see more of it on the women's side. And you've always done that. Is that just part of part yeah. of your mental game is just calling us calling, you know, calling a spade a spade in terms of how things are? Uh, I guess so. I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, I think that there's nothing wrong with, you know, if you're, if you're struggling, you're struggling, you know, you might as well embrace it, just say it how it is and, and work through it and get through it. You know, I don't want to pretend that, you know, things are okay when they're not, you might as well, you know, work at it, work at what's wrong. So if I've ever, you know, been asked what the deal is, yeah, I'm going to probably give you a straightforward answer. Why not? <laughs> yeah, and that's why, that's why you get the calls from <laughs> from us. Um, one thing that you – I was reading that you, you were using a little bit more last week was like a little stats card in your in your yardage book. Can you tell us what that was, like – Obviously, you're you're keeping track of your your own stats, but like to the point where at one, you know, you were talking to uh, Rick the Stick, your caddy, 
uh, who's a, a lovely man, but that you you actually had no mm-hmm. idea what you shot because you were so invested, kind of in the process. What's what's in what's the secret? What's in the yardage book? <laughs> so um, I came home um, through a December last year. Did the hotel quarantine, and I knew you know um, I had five weeks at home, and I wanted to spend that with my coach John Sirhan and prepare for this year's season. And um, we talked about seeing a sports psychologist and um, he suggested there was actually one up where my parents live where I, I spend a lot of time up in Fossetown Curry by the name of uh, John Crampton. And I had worked with John as a kid um, at the Australian Institute of Sport and I thought, you know, yeah, let's have a go. So I went and spent the day with John and we had a great, a great chat and we basically came to the conclusion that um, I'm a little bit of a warrior out in the golf course. Um, and we tried to, I guess, distract myself from, you know, what, you know, okay, the situation and just kind of make mini goals out of it. Um, so I made a stat sheet, um, and it's literally, it's as simple as, you know, take a deep breath on the first hole, tick, visualize my shot, tick, hit the fairway, tick, get my putt past the hole, tick. That's it. It's just, it's just simple, um, and I got, I've, I've been doing it so much so good lately that I don't even know what my score is, you know, because huh. all I'm focused on after each shot, you know, I pull out my stat card and I'm like, okay, yep, I took a deep breath, yep, I visualised that shot, you know, or, and I so I just I, I tick. So my best round so far I got last week and the number of ticks, I got 63 ticks. Hmm. So um, that's, that's just the, yeah, um, kind of what I've been working on and seems to be working because, yeah, I really um sort of distracting myself from, you know, the situation and everything that's going on and I'm just playing a little game with myself and trying to get as many ticks as possible. <laughs> that, that, that's a great idea. Because I, 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 you, you're putting something that, you know, has been front and centre. When you had the, your magical run in Australia a couple of summers ago, you know, you nearly won the Vic Open, did really well at the Australian Open. You talked about, you know, doing different things with your putter, and I heard you talk about that again this time. Getting the ball to the hole, it's so simple, isn't it? But if you're doing that and you're putting those little ticks in your book, that's huge for you, I would imagine. Yeah, last year, I feel like I've hit the ball really similar for a couple of years now, and last year, out until particularly the beginning part, um, I just struggled to get the ball to the hole. I've always had a pretty decent stroke. You know, John's always said, you know, we haven't really had to change much of that. It's just, you know, it's getting the speed right. Um, And I, you know, my stats showed that a really big percent of putts outside of 20 feet, I didn't even give a chance. Um, So when I was home for the the seven weeks over December and January, um, that's what we worked on a lot, uh, getting the ball to the hole and obviously a lot of, you know, three-footers as well. So, you know, I could bang it past and not worry about the one coming back, but mainly just speed. Um, And that's honestly been the difference this year. um, You know, my first event coming back to the States, I finished fifth at at Lake Nona, the first event, and it's just been putting. I honestly have hit the ball exactly the same, um, and it's just, just, you know, been able to – that's one of the ticks, you know, making sure if I have a – think if it's if a 15 footer and I've got it past the hole um and that's that's all I've really worked on and and it's working that's awesome I love that it's so simple I've never really asked you a serious question before but are you becoming the golfer you <laughs> thought you might be um I probably thought I was going to be a little better earlier um if I'm if I'm honest um but 
I mean, this is great. This is this is a great start to the year. Um, the ultimate goal is to win, and I think I'm headed in that direction. I think I'm closer than I probably ever have been. Um, would I have liked it to be a little bit earlier? Sure, but but um, you know, I'm I'm fit. I'm healthy. Um, I feel great. So you know, I don't think time's necessarily too much of an issue. The way my body feels right now, which is great. Um, but but yeah, um, I'm definitely playing some of the best golf of my life and I love where I'm at. Can be like growing we grew up playing a lot of golf together. I've never seen someone hit a straighter golf ball than you. I have to say like across the board, I've never <laughs> seen anyone that hits it as straight as you do. Just so you know, uh, I've watched <laughs> a decent amount of golf. But how how is like how's the tour changed since since you got in because like you think about, you know, the evolution and how many people were in contention back then versus the multitudes of people that seem to be in contention now, but also like the Aussie experience. You know, you've got Minji Sue and Hannah Green who have these programs around them, and it was very different when you started um, out on tour on the LPGA. Mm-hmm. Um, for me personally, I think it's, you know, I, I kind of, um, I've spent a little, just not much time around um, uh, Hannah and, and Sue and Minji, but it just looks like they're, They've, they come out in a better place mentally. Um, I'll never forget. I don't even know if I've had I've said this to Hannah, but um, the night before um, she played the final round um, of the the KPMG, um, we had a little Aussie barbecue um, or at at uh, Webby's house, and they were all staying there. And and I'm not sure if she felt this way, but. Hannah was just so cool, calm and collected. And a lot of people asked me, you know, like, do you think she's going to win tomorrow? And I was like, yeah, I kind of think she, she, she will, you know, like it did, just didn't look like it phased her. And that's what I think I see now. It just doesn't, it seemed like, you know, the, the moment is phasing um, the younger players as much as, you know, I, that's, that's how I feel anyway. Like it, I was really phased back in, you know, when I came out on tour, you know, like if, and I, I, sh- I don't really want to repeat this, but if Annika Sorenstam was down the other end of the range, you know, like I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go down the total other end. Like I hate saying <laughs> that, but I'm not like that now. But I just can't imagine, you know, these young girls coming out and doing that now, you know, like you you embrace it a little bit more. Um, so kind of from an attitude perspective, it just seems like it's 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 a lot better than, than say when I came out on tour. There was a little bit more... A lot of girls are a little bit more timid um, and now it's more of that, you know, go out and get it attitude and um, I don't know. Did I explain that okay? Yeah, that perfectly. You need to get your grouch on and start scaring some of the kids away. <laughs> She's doing it. No, it, it's great. I, I love, yeah, it's uh, it's really awesome to see, um, you know, it's, that, you know, the mentality that the girls, you know, the younger girls have, have yeah. now, they're not, they're not afraid to come and ask for things, and, and that's how it should be. Bit of a different mentality coming up for you this week, isn't it, Sarah Kemp? Where do we, we're finding you, I believe, in Vegas at the moment. Mm-hmm. Talk us talk us through what's yeah, ahead of you the next couple Vegas. of days. Oh, I wish I could go and gamble, but I can't. I'm not allowed to. <laughs> uh, Tua uh, <laughs> has just got sent an email saying that casinos are, are off the, off the oh. cards this week uh, oh. due to COVID. Um, but within our little bubble um but yeah it's super exciting because this is um actually this is a good story i the last time i played match play was we i think maybe it was like about six or seven years ago we had a a match play event out on tour and and we yeah it's been a it hasn't been on the schedule for since 
yeah, since now. Um, but the last time I played match play, um, it was it, this this event. It was different. It wasn't the round robin. It was just the straight kind of 64. Um, and the top 32 players went up on stage and picked out a ball of who they played. So I had played good the week before. And anyway, um, cut a long story short, um, we're at the, the pairings party for this match play event. And I'm standing next to Webby. And um, Webby's one of the top 32 players. And she goes up and she pulls my name out oh. of the hat. So talk about another time <laughs> I shut my pants. Sorry, Webb, of all the times I have to play match play on tour, Webby pulls out my name. Um, and... <laughs> Um, so that's the last time I played match play against Kari Webb. Um, but we actually had a really good day. It was it was a good match. I uh, it wasn't I didn't make it easy for her, which was great. Um, but uh, so I don't I, I haven't I don't, haven't had much experience since then. But um, yeah, this will be a really fun week. I love match play. Played so much of it as a kid in Australia. So it'll be uh, be lots of fun. I put it to you, Kemby, that Sarah Kemp. Barred from casinos in Las Vegas by rules is like putting a face mask on Dracula and then inviting him to the blood bank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not a gambler, but if you're here, it, you know you might as well just you know go down with a hundred, right? I mean, just, that's that's how I feel about it. Yeah. I, mean, I, I wouldn't you know go out of my way to come to a place like this, and, and but you know if I'm here, I wish I could. There you go. Now, um, that was your best result in Virginia. That was your best result on American soil on the big tour. Um, do you think something with a W is imminent here, or is it just is it just a matter of just bobbing up and being there and just seeing what happens? Um, yeah, a bit of both. I mean, I think I just kind of want to continue to do what I'm doing and you know, just set these sort of mini goals. Like ultimate, obviously the goal would be to win, but um, I kind of like just setting the smaller ones, the ones that I can control, um, like my tick game. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that, yeah, that might, that'll help me get the W. Um, so just kind of sticking to the smaller things and, and we'll see how we go. Love it. It's it's not yeah. the goal, it's the byproduct. Yeah, I like that. Uh, Ali, we should just talk about the tournament quickly while we still have Sarah. Tied 25th, Catherine Kirk. Tied 53rd, Sarah Jane. Um, missed cuts for Gabby Ruffles and Suo. We talk every time we speak to one of your girls, Sarah, about the bond between the Aussies. I assume that's as strong as ever right now. It is. Um, I was lucky enough to go over to the uh, Golf Australia house in Orlando last week for a barbecue and and I had to catch up with the girls, and uh, Lucas Herbert was there, um, so that was fun. Um, but yeah, look, I went and had a meat pie with Catherine Kirk um, a few weeks back in LA. Um, we drove all through LA to find this meat pie place. Um, <laughs> so it's the little things like that. Um, yeah, I, I like I like listening to those accents and, and being around the Aussies, which is which is great. You are living your best life. I love it, Ellie. I think that this is what touring golf is all about to me. Yep. Well, she's a, you've always been one of those really true blue Aussies that just, just lived overseas. But, you know, the, even the fact that you, you keep your coaches here in Australia is a testament to, to how bound you are uh, to this part of the world and your, your home country. Yeah, I love it. No place like home. No place like Australia. <laughs> uh, we should probably uh, let you go because you obviously have – well, you haven't got gambling commitments, but I know it's going to be an early start this week <laughs> in Las Vegas. So um, 
Kempi, we always love having you on. You're always welcome and you're always so giving. And we'll try and get you um, maybe a dry cleaning voucher for some pant issues you've you've obviously been having through your career. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Sarah Kemp, everyone. Uh, thanks so much. Ali, just before we leave this segment, um, yep. you wanted to make mention of the winner of that tournament. Yeah, Wailing She, you know what? And and a testament to Kempi is that she actually did absolutely nothing wrong on the weekend. It was just all all to play for from fifteen onwards, and uh, and Wailing got across the line, and, and she's just a good, great girl that you know you don't have that much access to. But like, this is someone that like goes swimming with whale sharks, and like during the week she always gets out and explores and and takes her her camera out, and and she's she's actually a really great character and someone that we can get behind. You know, you would have maybe remembered her from uh, her third place finish at the Aussie Open. I think it was two years ago now. Um, but yeah, just a, a very likeable character. And now very heavy shoulders is the the weight. I guess it's kind of lifted a little bit um, of, of Chinese Taipei, uh, you know, how much they love their golf. Mm. And she managed to get across the line. And I think it was the first win in seven or eight years um, from someone from there. And, uh, and it, you know, as much as I would have loved to see Kempi do it, uh, she's she's a sneaky little character, Wailing, and uh, yeah, I, I know that that trophy will be front and centre on her mantelpiece, and there's just so much buzz about it back in our home country. Party at Swinging Skirts headquarters. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I uh, think so. Fantastic. Thanks again to Sarah Kemp. Uh, we're going to come back with another special guest after this break. We're going to join Pete Nolan from X Golf. With Australian Golf Media, you're back inside the ropes. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. Uh, another in our way of investigating variations of golf, I would say, Ali, around Australia. And we're absolutely thrilled to welcome someone we both know um, who's taken a different career path than perhaps he envisaged early in, in early days. But Peter Nolan, welcome to Inside the Ropes. Uh, thank you, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Pete, you've you've got a different title. Uh, you, you're the National Training Manager of X-Golf. Um, it, that's probably not where you envisaged your career starting out in golf, but or ending in golf, I should say, when you started out. Tell us the Pete Nolan story. Oh, geez, yeah, that's a, a long story. Um, I think for me, probably thinking back to even when I met Alison. Hi, Alison, I know you're there. <laughs> yeah, it's good to hear your voice, Pete. <laughs> yeah, no, great to catch up. Um, back at Royal Melbourne days, I did a traineeship there at Royal Melbourne and um, managed to practice hard enough to be able to secure a tour card on the back of it. So, um, yeah, I started off playing um, or working on playing as a professional, not a great golfer as an amateur or a trainee, but um, managed to work my way onto the tour and surround myself with some really good people and practice hard enough to get out there for six or seven years of, years of um, good competitive play. And that was sort of the, the starting point for me in the industry, um, which was great. Now, I want to know if I played any part in the demise of your professional career, Pete, because one day back in the day, you and uh, Alastair Presnell, two great pros. Uh, one of you led the US Open for a very brief time. Um, <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> uh, we were playing a social game at Huntingdale, and I was I brought along, or he brought me along, Brian Meldrum, formerly of the Herald Sun. And the balls came down so that Drum and I played against the two pros, Ellie. Ooh. And there was a there was mm. a um, a temporary hole in place, so it wasn't past seventy two; it was past seventy. But I want to say that. Alistair Presnell had a 63 off the stick, and I want to say that Pete Nolan might have had a 65 or 66 or something similar off the stick. 
and Brian Meldrum and I beat them two and one. No, you didn't. Yeah, we did. Gosh, you're a cruel man. Yeah, they did. And we... It's a horrible story. I didn't know you were going to lead with a story like this. Oh, I know. He Pete. actually tells this once a year. <laughs> one of my favourite stories, Pete, because I reckon if, if you counted up my shots, I would have had 95. But on the nine holes that Brian did something terrible, I had a birdie. And on the nine holes he did something terrible, I did something terrible, he had a birdie. And you guys were just crucified. Yeah, no, I think it definitely probably was a part of myself and Prez both retiring um, in the next few years. We'll we'll chalk that down to not the whole reason, but definitely part of. Sorry, I just had to get that in. No, and I'll save you now, (laughs) Pete, by asking about your current role uh, with X-Golf. For people that aren't familiar with it, can you you tell us what X-Golf is and, and where they can find it? Yeah, absolutely. So X-Golf now is a national indoor golf franchise. Um, there's 11 venues around the country, uh, five of which are in Victoria, where we started, um, around um, southeastern suburbs of Melbourne and over in Geelong as well. Um, and we've got new interstate venues in Queensland, Maroochydore, uh, Inogra, Brisbane, um, Shire in Sydney and MacArthur in Sydney and also over in Adelaide, Marion and now Balcatta just opened in Perth. So it's a really fast-growing um, indoor entertainment business which um, allows us to cater to golfers who want to train and, and get data feedback and improve right through to new players who want to get into the game You know, with um, very few barriers and you know, a nice soft entry. Oh, gosh, listen to you. You're a smooth operator, aren't you? Mm. Uh, I'm, I, and I find this fascinating for, for similar reasons to that when we chatted with Joel Taylor of the Prolong Drivers Association last week in terms of, you know, what sparks an interest and what gets people from different demographics into the game of golf and, and whatever it is, uh, the more of it, the better in my opinion. What kind of demographic comes into uh, X-Golf? Is it people, you know, in their suits on their lunch break that are tucking them into their shirts? Is it, you know, a, a, a bunch of, you know, 15 to 20-year-olds for a party? Like, who do you get the most of through the door? And I'd imagine it's got to be quite a broad range. It is. It's very broad. Um, we actually started probably with more of the golfers. Uh, we started at the House of Golf in Malvern and X-Golf Malvern, um, partnering with the House of Golf guys there. Um, ben Styles was part owner of the House of Golf and launched the um, the indoor golf business. Um, with his brother Charles and we've partnered I think now with three venues with House of Golf there's one at Ringwood which is an ex-golf House of Golf and Mentone ex-golf House of Golf and those early venues were a lot of golfers coming in to play golf competitions um, X-League which I think we'll talk about a little bit um, which is a three-on-three competition as well as um, getting lessons um, corporate events and people like you mentioned coming in during their lunchtime to have a quick hit for a, uh, you know, a quick beer and a burger while they have a break um, which was really our core uh, market early on. But as we've gone along, we've, um, we've branched out more and more and become really an entertainment space for everyone. Uh, and in particular, the non-golfer now we're seeing a lot of coming in and, and engaging with us and having some fun while they learn how to play, which is great. How is that different to clubs, Pete, for you? How do you see that as different? What makes things more appealing to go to ex-golf than perhaps traditionally it might be to go to a club for a newbie? Uh, well, we have a huge advantage in that we can change uh, the software, the gameplay um, and the simulators really quickly, you know, immediately to be able to suit someone's ability level. So, um, you know, just on the weekend, we had a, a kids party running um, and a, a high level X-League championship running um, literally 10 hours apart in Ge- the Geelong venue. Um, and we were able to run one event with professional settings, uh, difficulty very high trying to keep it as close to playing outside as possible. And then the next one for the kids 
you know, the, the gravity's down, the luck setting's way up, um, the courses are as short as possible, everything's fun. Um, there's all sorts of games and fun digitally that they can have. So we're, um, we're really lucky in that we can just cater to each customer type really quickly and make sure that they, you know, they really have a great experience in playing the game of golf that suits them, I suppose. The luck setting, Ellie. That's mm. what I've missed out on my golf career. I That's needed it. a higher luck setting. Yeah, I I feel like there's not enough technology in the world <laughs> for you. For you. <laughs> I think um, you and Brian had the luck setting way up at Huntington. There we go. Just to quickly mention that. Yeah, I like no, how yeah. you brought that back. That's Tell us a little point. bit about the, uh, the, the X-League National Championships and how that's built um, over the years, Pete. Yeah, I mean, that's been huge for us. Um, kind of a, a core product for us uh, from the beginning has been getting um, combinations of golfers and non-golfers together midweek to be able to play as a team of three. Um, we all know, you know, team golf is much loved out there in the golf industry with, you know, Ambrose Charity and Corporate Days just being so much fun. Um, you watch the Ryder Cup and you get to see you know, team golf really at its best there at a high level. Um, so we uh, developed a product with some of our key people early on where um, the amateur golfer can come in with um, two or three mates. Uh, it's teams of three, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday night around the country. Monday to Wednesday is our, our core. And um, basically, it's um, 10 teams playing over 10 weeks, moving up and down a ladder, um, playing for some cash and prizes, handicapped events. And um, it's really built for, uh, I suppose, maybe a golfer and two golfing mates who don't really play much to be able to get together and have a social time. Um, and playing indoor league that um, is, I suppose, manageable for people that maybe have kids or work commitments and aren't able to play a lot outside. That's what I was I was going to tap into that because for me, one of the areas of, of concern from a membership perspective is are those people really aged from, say, mid to late 20s to the age of 40 and trying to keep them invested in golf. Uh, it feels like ex-golf to me is a mixture between having, you know, having a club membership and a pub quiz. Do you know what I mean? Like that, yeah, that kind I mean, of sense yeah. of, of environment. Um, That's exactly the culture that it kind of uh, fits into. And we haven't really, I mean, we've nurtured it. We haven't really tried to create that culture. It's been more around our players that have come forth. They're really wanting that midweek. You know, they want that, you know, like you said, pub quiz or that sort of a um, indoor cricket league feel where, you know, there's camaraderie and, and banter and a good social time with some food and drink. Um, but, you know, in two hours on a Wednesday night, you know, after they put the kids to bed, which is just perfect for a lot of people who um, maybe don't have the time outside. And we've ended up being a great alternate option for those that maybe um, have three or four years in the industry where they can't play much outside. They can keep their games going, which is awesome. And winter too, Pete. Like, to me, it's, you know, it might be, uh, if you're not a... Let's just say if you're a fair weather golfer, X golf seems to me to be a really solid alternative. And you know, we all, regardless of the temperature, obviously it's warmer in Queensland at this time of the year, etc., than where it is where we are. But uh, the daylight hours is a, it's a massive issue. Like you just don't get the chance to do what you do in the middle of summer, regardless of where you are in Australia. Um, X golf is the solution here. Yeah, it's, I mean, initially I, I would really agreed with you our first five years and that we were very seasonal when we were really talking to the golf market and the traditional golf market, but it's shifted now um, in that our, our two top-performing venues right now are up in Queensland and over in Perth in very nice weather, absolutely smashing it out with entertainment, new golfers, awesome. um, social experiences. Uh, we still see a lot more of the golfers in winter because it, um, you know, they like that alternative. But I think it's more um, what Ali was talking about there. It's the the social side throughout the year and the options for people that 
can't really play otherwise. We we're really, you know, finding our feet and getting stronger. Yeah, Pete, so, so say I'm I'm someone that works in the city that wants to get out on their lunch break. They're taking, you know, talk us through what happens once they get inside the door. You know, do they have to book yeah. a, a spot in advance? Like, do they are there clubs there for them to use? Do they have to bring their own? Like, what kind of, uh, I guess, facilities and, and options are available for them? And especially if they're not tech yeah, sa- savvy, it's not something to be scared of. There'll be plenty mm. of hands on deck to help out. That's absolutely right. Yeah, our staff are great. Um, they're ready to receive non-golfers and golfers alike. So we try to make sure they can explain the technology to a, a golf savvy, you know, someone who's interested in testing their equipment, um, but also can, you know, really walk them through how to use the simulator at a base level if you're a non-golfer, you know, and you want to use our higher sets, which will be available there. Um, we've got some great clubs on site for anyone that needs them um, and also you know, staff ready to be able to show you uh, the basics around getting going. Um, so, yeah, depending on what you're coming in for, um, our staff will take care of you. There's five to eight simulators at all of our venues, so there's always um, availability. Rainy days, Mark, like you said, it's probably a little harder to get a spot, but mm-hmm. um, you can give our venues a call, let them know what type of golfer you are or if you're a new golfer, and we'll be able to take it from there. Um, and that's, um, that really is our, I suppose, what we like to hang our hat on, is that um, anyone can come in any golf level and um, we'll make sure they have a great time. I'll vouch for that, Ali. Uh, I had my Bucks Day a couple of years ago at X-Golf Geelong, yeah, and I had some people who were um, reasonable golfers and down to me and then down to some absolute choppers. And then you weren't allowed to go back? Oh, no, Alex. <laughs> the hilarious uh, thing is with X-Golf, they, they want you to come back. That's amazing. the whole point, isn't it? That, that, you know, the, the experience is totally different. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's fun. I, I, it's, if I had to sum it up, it's fun. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you can play as seriously as you want. I've I've seen people in there grinding away in pre- some pretty serious matches, Pete, on occasion. But um, it seems to me that yeah. the, the burger yeah. and fries and a beer option, or you know, milkshake, whatever it is, takes your fancy is the is the way to go. Pete, we're really thrilled. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming that the the website xgolf.com.au is the best port of call for everyone around Australia, rather than specific um, franchises. Yeah, absolutely. Head to xgolf.com.au and check out where your uh, nearest venue is. A couple of new ones on the radar now. Um, Kansas getting very close to opening up there. So we're thrilled to have new franchisees on board that um, will be able to uh, do the same thing, engage the the non-golfer and the golfer in their area. And um, those that are interested in X-League, I know you just mentioned serious competition. We just played for over $10,000 in prizes over the weekend at our um, national X-League champ of champs. And we had the um, the PLDA guys that you mentioned, Joel, last week. He came in. Um, in each state, we had uh, between four and six of his top players that played off for some cash and prizes as well in an indoor long drive. So we're getting quite serious in those areas. And the website will allow people who are interested in that sort of um, high-level competition to get involved and, and you know, get around us as well because it's, um, it's great at the moment if you don't have to travel and you can play for some cash. That's awesome. Yep, absolutely love it. Well, if it's dark outside when you leave work at 5pm or you've got a mate in the office that's keen to get into work, sneak a golf club under the desk, go out to X-Golf. Pete Nolan, X-Golf uh, National Training Manager. It's been a pleasure to talk for uh, with you and uh, and thanks so much for kind of scooping up the people on the edges of golf and uh, and giving them a place to go to. That's great. We love it. And thanks very much for having me on. It's, uh, it's great to talk to you both. Such a pleasure. Pete Nolan there. And we'll be back uh, right after this to wrap up things for Inside the Ropes, won't we, Hazy? We certainly will, Ellie. Let's go. With Australian Golf Media, you're back Inside the Ropes. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. Great to talk to Pete Nolan, Ellie. Um, 
just a gentleman for one. Um, but I really love X Golf. I find that it's um, fun. As I said, it, it's fun, but it, it's your great alternative to me in winter, uh, and particularly outside daylight saving hours. I need to go and get my little fix in. It's a good spot. I think it's such like you know we talked about the fun side, but I think it's such a good decompression mm. for a lot of people. You know, you go to the range, you hit a bucket of balls after a tough day at work, or you know, or to if if you've got young kids or whatever, you know, to get away on the weekend. But this is just something else where it opens up a lot of different times during the day as well, and and makes golf more available and and kind of takes the time aspect out of it. But I'm just really happy to have someone like Pete who has, you know, been attached at one of the best golf clubs in Melbourne, in Royal Melbourne. He's seen all parts of the game, mm. but he's just so incredibly approachable, isn't he? He's kind oh. of like that lovely gentleman, yeah. um, you know, and, and he's kind of got one of those gentle natures, but he's but he's clever too. He'll, Extremely. He'll, yeah, he'll know how to kind of drop, drop the bait for people to get interested. And I think it's really important to note for anyone listening who's, got a friend who's making an excuse he'll mm. pete with the like the luck settings they can make it fun for anyone you know you, you you can tweak the knobs and twiddle the dials to get it so that it's fun for everyone one of the big appeals is the no walk because it still scares a lot of people off the fact that you're gonna have to walk a few kilometers to play you don't do that you can have a corona with a lime in it you can have a you know, a fluffy duck. You can do whatever you want. Meat pie, hot dog. What is a fluffy duck? I think it's lemonade and yellow ad- advocate, isn't it? I'm not 100% sure. Oh, wow. I've never even My heard of that. I don't know if days. I'm out of it or if, if you are. Maybe I was that. out of it when I had a fluffy duck. Maybe that. Yeah, was it, the, it was the bucks. But anyway. Yeah, no, but like go in. What I would do, I reckon I've walked through the door. If I had, say, half an hour, 45 minutes. I don't know how long the sessions go for, I'll be honest. But walk in, put your food order in. Mm. You know, go, get ready, loosen up, your food comes, you get to hit for a little while in the meantime, so you're not just waiting at a restaurant somewhere, you know, mm. kind of killing time, and, and go and have that little session and yeah. then, you know, knock something back and, and head back to work. Yeah. I just feel like that's a that's an incredibly untapped resource. And, and like you say, especially in winter, it's just a good way to stay active. There's some serious golfers, but there's some serious fun people there and you don't have to be labelled one or the other. You can just go and have fun. I, I recommend it to you. xgolf.com.au Ali, uh, overnight they announced some uh, new players on the men's side into the men's US Open. We've got the women's one before the men's comes up at Torrey Pines, but some good news for the Australian contingent with uh, a few names added. Yes, yeah, Adam Scott, Matt Jones, uh, Wade Olmsby and Brad Kennedy all uh, getting exemptions to play, which is great. And, and I really like the fact that the USGA seem to have Potentially a just a broader watch on golf. Yes, um, it's something that I really have always applauded the the RNA on. I thought that they were always incredible at it, in particular on the on the amateur side, where you have people being invited to from from all over uh, the world to their events. And you know the fact that that Brad Kennedy gets a nod, you know who who traditionally plays in Japan, um, if I'm remembering correctly, obviously. But um, you know I, I feel like just making sure that you you are seeing it as a global game, which sometimes doesn't always happen uh, in the US and, and very, various other parts. You know, Asia can be quite, um, I don't know what the word is. It's not myopic's not the word, but, you know, kind of Asian central when you look at Japan's a great example that, mm-hmm. you know, we haven't seen that many international players on, on the Japanese men's or women's tour. Similarly with the KLPGA, uh, that it is very, you know, South Korean central. 
uh, but I but I love it. I yeah. like I like them just having a yeah having that kind of view from above. I guess. Yep, the global perspective is really important. Yes. I think it's really interesting to see how the different tournaments come together. The majors, you know, the the Open takes the regional qualifiers sort of path. The US PGA takes the world rankings and the local pros path. You know, the PGA the um, Masters is obviously very hoi polloi in who they're having. Um, and, you know, <clears throat> this one, the US Open, to me, is the best system. So you can have a bit of the regional qualifiers domestically, but that overarching view, as you say, of, uh, you know, Wade almost be getting in on the basis of Asian tour results and Brad Kennedy on Australian tour results is fantastic. Yeah. Like it's really – it's an important recognition of what's happening outside the uh, the continental United States. Mm, very much so. And if you've got the major bug, major fever, well, first of all, go get tested. No, I'm just kidding. Gosh, COVID <laughs> jokes. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's a couple coming up in two weeks' time. We've got the Women's uh, US Open at Olympic Club. And then, like you say, the South Course at Torrey Pines is going to get a workout from June 17 to yeah. June 20 with the lads there's plenty more to come yeah there is now uh, we should run through the other Australians on the on the global tours around the world this year we spoke already of the LPGA Tour and the PGA Tour um, Europe had a week off but the Japan Golf Tour rolled from uh, strength to strength um, another great result we talked earlier of people who are building 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 another great result to me for Dylan Perry mm. um, he's come out of COVID quarantine in Japan Fairly strong, I would suggest, and he looks like he's making solid progress up the leaderboard. Tied 16 uh, with – how's the scores to tie 16? 67 uh, – 66, 66, 67, 66 this week, Dylan Perry. How's that? It, uh, and yeah, it's deep. Well, it's, it's brutal, but he's, it shows you that his game is right there to me. So great for him. 16th there, Anthony Quayle, 25th, Scott Strange, 36th. Brad Kennedy, the aforementioned 43rd, Matt Griffin, 55th, and Adam Bland, 68th. Branston and Evans missed the cut. Uh, the Corn Ferry side of things, we had Aaron Baddeley, Mark Hensby make the cut. None of them did anything fancy. Brett Druitt, Gibson, Endicott, and Jamie Arnold all missed. Um, I did want to make mention, Ali, before you get to the Symmetra Tour of the Challenge Tour, Dimi Papadatos has mm. been sort of away from things for a little while here. First time back up, tied 12th. Um, I reckon we're going to see big things from him. And Blake Windred, another New South Welshman as well, did uh, pretty well there in Sweden. With with Dimi Papadatos, one thing that I want to say about his game is that, because he's got quite a fast golf swing, right? It's short and it's quick. I And I think he's probably come to the conclusion a little bit more like certain players. I think, you know, we, we, I can't remember if we talked about Scott Hend, who kind of can go miscut, 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 and then win. That is going to be similar for Dimmy, not to say that he can't build uh, weeks in between his good weeks, and Mm -hmm. I hope that he does, Uh, very much so. He's he's got so much talent, but but understanding that each week is a new entity for him because when he's good, he's good, and it's all timing and it's all confidence. And when he has it, you know, he – Obviously, he's walked away with the Vic Open before, so he, mm. he knows what he's doing um, and is totally capable of winning against really good fields. And and that would be the one thing that, you know, from the outside, that's that's my view. I wonder how much it actually matches up with his his view of his own game, um, watching from the outside. He's got a pretty good post-match routine on Sundays most weekends, I think, <laughs> so um, I'm pretty sure he's got that under oh, control. He and I had that in common. <laughs> uh, 
Tell us about the Symmetra Tour, Ali, if you've got those things in front of yeah, you. Yeah, we had Robin Choi um, make the cut on the Symmetra Tour. T11 for Robin, which is good, starting to see uh, a, a couple of our Aussie girls kind of almost pull each other along as well. Yep. It was great to see um, some recent results as well from Julian Sue. Not so much for this week, but uh, a, a little special mention as well on, you know, one tour that doesn't really get that many world ranking points. It slides under the radar, but we've been talking a lot about it on Inside the Ropes is the Rose Ladies series. And Whitney Hillier lost in a playoff uh, this past week to Gabs Cowley. I think it was four four players. We don't get any coverage of it here. They are mm. doing highlights programs of it over in the UK, um, fueled by Kate and Justin Rose, which is brilliant. So good to see uh, Whipper, you know, get some uh, get some results she under is the a belt. Beauty. She is total classic, incredibly talented as well. She's one of those players that kind of moved overseas, and it took her a long time to work out a team. Mm. Uh, and and she and she kind of fell by the wayside because of it, because it's really hard to do. It's mm. you, you're going to a new continent, trying to find coaches, trying to find, yeah. uh, you know, personal trainers uh, and, and a caddy as well. Um, her fiance Ben Brewer, his uh, his father's actually her her teaching coach now. Yeah. So it's like she's just kind of solidifying. Um, the team around her for the maybe, probably I think it's about the last three years now. Good fellow Ben. Yeah, great. Mean dancer. Yeah, love him. <laughs> uh, do you want to give reference here? Quick little shout to Karis. Yeah, Karis Davidson's over. Uh, she's made her journey back to Japan for the first time in a long time. We talked about the guys that had to go through it on the, the men's side who are now out playing. Uh, reaping the rewards, but a little special mention to, to Karis, who is now on day four of hotel quarantine oh. uh, in Japan. They've got to do it on the way in and the way out, and it's 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 big. It's really big, and it's tough. So if, if you know her, shoot her a message and uh, or, or send her some funny news stories or a Sudoku or something. Help help a sister out. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Speaking of helping sisters out, Vision 2025 has been all about um, providing the visionary of the year um, stories this year. Uh, we're going to have a new winner for the month of May very soon, um, but I encourage all clubs to nominate their entries for subsequent months. Uh, we'll have announced a winner later in the year. There's a huge prizes with Callaway River and through Drummond Golf as well with $500 monthly and a big Callaway package at the end worth $10,000. So get your entries in. Follow the Check out on the golf.org.au website. Go to Visionary of the Year and uh, you'll see the past entries, some great case studies, uh, what women and men too, the champions of change and making happen around the country. So really important stuff there. We look forward to announcing the new winner soon. Love it. Keep them coming. I think that's it for us, isn't it, Hazy? I think. It didn't start well, Ellie, but 109 sort of, you know, we, we grooved it a little bit. I don't think it's 109, mate. Is it? Oh, it's 209. Yeah, you've oh done my it. God. You've done it again. <laughs> oh, I've got start with strength and finish with strength. And I gave myself a bit of praise too. That's disgraceful. All right. Well, let me do this. That's okay, it for go. episode 209. Mark Hayes, Ali Whitaker, signing off from Inside the Ropes. To ho- hope to have your company again next week. Whew.